Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. All right, raise your hand if you're, e- I know, this is, uh, the, thanks Rick, you're, you're just like a middle school boy who just goes, oh, I'll do it, and you have no idea what you're volunteering for, it's fantastic. <laughs> All right, raise your hand if you're into and get excited about mysteries whether it be a movie or a book or a TV show. Okay, great. So I'm not alone and my family's not alone. We watch and enjoy mysteries. We like to solve the puzzle before the kind of the episode is over because there's always a running competition in the family or in the house. Um, Whoever we're watching the show with, we're, oh, we think so-and-so did it. Or we think this is gonna happen because There's this intrigue that draws us into the story, and we want to know the truth. We want to know who done it, and when it was done, and where it was done, and all of the details. We gather all the information, and we say, okay, we think this, this person is it. And sometimes we're really good at it, and sometimes the clues just take us in all sorts of directions. Um, And just a moment of confession, we're Big NCIS fans. I don't know if there's any NCIS fans out there, but we love it. So um, oftentimes we're trying to figure out who the, the criminal is and what, how they did it. And, and, and I know, real life is not like NCIS. Real life's not like TV. I think the, one of my favorite movies that got me was the movie The Sixth Sense. Um, I mean, oh, I just, I tried and tried. I was like, I don't know. But this mystery, whoa, if you've not seen it, uh, it's a good movie. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but it's a good movie. And mysteries keep us engaged and grasp our minds and our heart and our creativity. And this morning, um, we meet a mysterious character in the Old Testament, of which John Mosier read Basically, all that's been written in the Old Testament about him, Melchizedek. There are literally three verses in Genesis about Melchizedek. He appears on the scene just like that, and just like that, he's gone. And we hear again in Psalm 110 more about this Melchizedek. Those are the only two places in the Old Testament where we hear about and get any information on Melchizedek until we get to Hebrews. And I'm thankful that Pastor David left this passage with me to unpack this mystery with you about this character whom we know very little about, who jumps on the scene and just like that is gone. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it. We're going we're gonna to jump right into Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 1 through 10, and if you've got your phone or iPad and you're kind of scanning through, we'd love for you to do that. We'll wait. We don't hear the wrestling of pages, but that's okay. All right, here we are. Hebrews chapter 7, Melchizedek. And I want you to see if you can gather as much information as you possibly can about this character, because I'm going to need your help um, figuring out who he is, So, because I want to know what the mystery is. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. 
He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Hmm. Interesting. The author continues, he says, just think, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch, Abraham, gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In, one, in the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Yeah, is that clear it all up for you? Great. Mystery solved, right? Not at all. But I want us to remember the purpose of Hebrews and why the author of Hebrews is writing. He's writing to the Jewish Christians who are facing pressure they're being persecuted, and possibly, potentially, we're seeing this kind of persecution and pressure from other Jews who are questioning the veracity of who Jesus is, right? How can you, a Jewish Christian who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, how can you believe that he is a priest? We know what the law is about how to be a priest, we know what it is, and Jesus doesn't fit that. And so here the author is pointing to an Old Testament figure, Melchizedek, and saying, look at Melchizedek. He will show you who Jesus is. He will show you. When we look at Melchizedek, I think we get distracted by the mystery. And what we need to do is look at Melchizedek and be reminded to turn our faces back to Jesus because that is who Melchizedek is pointing us to. Melchizedek, right, names are important, right? Melchizedek is a king of righteousness. I'm going to teach you a couple of Hebrew words um, and I'll actually teach you an Arabic word because they're the same. And if I can make you trilingual in one Sunday morning, that'd be great, right? <laughs> right? So, Melchizedek is two words smashed together. Melech means king. Say Melech. Great. You, now you know a Hebrew word and an Arabic word, so now you're trilingual. It's great. You know English, Hebrew, and uh, Arabic. Great. So Melech is king, and then Sadik is righteousness. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness. He's also the king of Salem. And the author tells us, right, names are important in the Old Testament. So whenever we get the definition of names, we really need to kind of bend our ear in and say, all right, what, what's the purpose of this? Right, so he's the king of righteousness, 
and the king of Salem, which is also, the author tells us, is peace or shalom. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and the king of peace, shalom. Huh, sounds quite familiar, right? Hmm, maybe he's pointing me to Jesus. Because you're all experts in Romans, because we spent the last year in Romans, and we know that Jesus' righteousness is imparted to us. There's a connection here. As we continue, as the author continues through pointing to Melchizedek and then hoping where eyes will be focused and redirected to Jesus, he continues. You catch a couple of things? He says in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of man, he remains a priest forever. Okay, so what does that mean? Good question. <laughs> Another mystery. Another wonderful mystery. Now, scholars have gone around the world trying to figure there are library shelves filled with discussions and theories about who Melchizedek is. But this without father, without mother, without beginning, without end, without birth, all of those things, we automatically think in the 21st century, like, how in the world how do, you, how, how do you exist without a mother and father? We're all here. We all have mothers. We all have all fathers. There's no question about that. Even Jesus has a mother, right? We're saying, Jesus has a mother and a father. Wonderful. How does this Melchizedek, who is he? I want to know. Don't worry, I do too. Don't trust me. You want to know, I want to know. We all want to know. When you figure it out, please come tell me. Write a big book. We'll add it to the shelf in the library of all the books about Melchizedek. What the author is pointing us to is simply this. We don't have a record. We don't have a record. We have no record of his origin. And he's comparing it to what? He's comparing it to the genealogy that is so interwoven to be a priest. Because Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Melchizedek receives a tenth of the spoils from the war. Melchizedek is a priest of the God Most High. How is Melchizedek a priest? We can't prove his lineage. We can't prove his genealogy. It doesn't take very long when you get into Genesis. All of a sudden you're reading, he begat he, da 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 son of this, son of that, da 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 And you just see the lineage because your genealogy is important. It's your pedigree. And for, for the tribe of Levi, who were the priests, when did they come on the scene? Right? Think for a moment. We're talking about Abraham, who is the patriarch of the faith. Right? He's the first person that God calls to be the father of nations be the father of many okay it's hard to trace a lineage back to right we have to go forward in time to Aaron when Melchizedek is meeting the guy that started it all that's the point that the author is making the point that the author is making is simply this he's a priest based on his character and God's call on his life. It's not rooted in his genealogy and pedigree. 
It's based on who God called him to be. It's not a birthright, but a calling in his life. Right? Get it? Now we're, we're looking at Melchizedek and we're saying, you're a priest, and God's identified you as the priest of the God Most High, and it's not about pedigree, it's about calling and personal character. And Abraham, Abraham identified and paid a tenth and recognized the position that Melchizedek has. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look at Melchizedek for just a split second. Don't get caught up in all the bells and the whistles about who he is, but who he points to, the King Jesus. It's always interesting to me when I try and figure these puzzles out because I get lost and wrapped around the shiny little object and I lose sight of the one who gives me life, who, who provides peace because he is the king and prince of peace. He's the one that provides the righteousness to which I am granted peace. And we do it backwards. Oftentimes, if I'm honest, we do it backwards. We try and gain this peace without going through righteousness. We try and achieve peace on our own. Sometimes, right, it looks like we look for peace through withdrawing. Maybe it like looks like going on vacation, right? Your, your house is like, Okay, maybe your house is not, but let me invite my three little boys over. Okay, I can't do that because we're socially distancing, yeah, right. But in my house, three little boys and doing school at home, it doesn't take very long for the house to kind of turn on a dime, right? And you're all laughing because you know what it's like or you have kids and you're like, yeah, I get it, Pastor John. And sometimes I could just leave the house and escape and withdraw, right? And... And she can't, right? And it's true. I can escape and withdraw and find my peace and respite temporarily, but I have to return. Eventually, my vacation ends, and you have to go back home. You have to realize that there's still some chaos in the world. Or some of us are, are really good at, at avoiding and ignoring the tension that exists. We avoid it and ignore it as if it's not there. And if we don't look at it, it's like out of sight, out of mind, and we're trying to get to this peace on our own, and if we just look away for a moment. But that sounds a lot like a disease or an illness that I'm ignoring. It sounds a lot like a wound that I have that I, I haven't treated properly or I haven't sought the right treatment for. I can only look away from it for so long before I have to come back to reality and, and realize that I'm, I'm sick. I'm hurting. I need care. I need help. I need healing. And in our, our world now, I'm seeing more and more of people who look for peace within. Um, I've, I've kind of been opened to a whole new world of kind of self-help and books that fill the shelves and 
there's a, there's a term, and it's slipping my mind at this very moment. Well, one of my students knows it. What is it called, Caroline? Where you like will the good and like send good vibes. Come on, help me out here. Oh, manifest. That's what it is, right? There's this movement that's taking place not only in the world, but it's creeping into the church where I become the source of my peace and I can find it on my own and I'm manifesting it in my life and in the lives of others. It's like sending good vibes somewhere and I'm receiving the good vibes and and that is what's going to help me find peace. And we've turned away totally from Jesus. But the real way to peace is through righteousness. The real way to peace is through righteousness. You know, Jesus experienced peace. The moment he was on, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was experiencing anguish to the point where he was sweating blood. And he said, not my will, but yours. And he surrendered. He surrendered it to the God, the Father. He said, you, I can't do this. And you see, the same is true for us. The way to peace, the way to enjoy true, life-giving peace that is available to us is surrendering our lives to Jesus calling him king and knowing who he is in our lives and not being distracted by the shiny bell and the shiny object of Melchizedek. As cool as this character is, as fascinating as he is, the author of Hebrews is pointing us, just look at Melchizedek for a moment. But Melchizedek is pointing us to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's a wonderful thing this morning as we are gathered together looking at Melchizedek as king of righteousness, as king of Salem, peace, and pointing us to Jesus who is our king of peace and our king of righteousness. And without Christ, I'm lost. I can't help myself because the problem still remains. It's sin in my life. I can't avoid it. I keep coming back to it. It's like a dog that returns to its vomit over and over. That's, I need someone to break me of this cycle to heal me, to restore me, to grant me his righteousness, that I might enjoy peace now and forever. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. All right, so now that you know who Melchizedek is and we've solved the mystery, right? Here's what I want you to do. Here's my charge and my challenge. The beauty of all of this is that we are called the priesthood of believers. You and I are priests in God's 
economy. You and I are called saints. So I'm wondering if you would be so willing. I'm going to challenge you to step outside of your comfort zone just a little bit. And you're going to have to engage with someone who knows you really well. And I want you to ask them, what ways do you and your life point to Jesus? How do you point to Jesus? How do they see you, like we're looking at Melchizedek, and then not be enamored by the bells and the whistles of this mysterious figure and turn our eyes to Jesus? You and I are called to do that. You and I are priests in God's economy. So there's my challenge for you. I hope you will accept it and take it to heart and be kind and gentle to the one who asks you how you see Jesus in them because God is at work in all of us and we're all a work in progress. There is good joy, love in all of us because God has created and designed us that way. And so there's my charge and my challenge. If you'll take it, I'll be excited and we'll be better for it as we all point to Jesus together.